You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Big Ben, one of several Steelers players on the reserve COVID-19 list. His availability for the weekend up in the air. And this is an undefeated Steelers team looking to secure a bye. Check in with an expert to see the latest on him and this team. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line, our ESPN NFL Nation reporter on the Steelers, Brooke Pryor. Brooke, thanks for the time. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to do it. I wish I was not having to talk about COVID, but it's 2020, so what else <laughs> yeah, is there to talk about? what are the about? chances? Well, we'll get to some actual just straight-up football. How do they look? But, of course, let's first address the latest. And, you know, we started the show talking about this. I imagine there isn't a big update yet. What does need to happen in order for Ben to be able to participate this weekend? Well, he needs to return negative tests all week. He cannot practice with the team in person for five days, starting from his last contact with Vance McDonald. Vance went on the list on Monday. Ben went on today as a high-risk uh, close contact, which that, that automatically triggers that five-day isolation. And that's important because when we talked to Dr. Alan Sills earlier today, he said that they had three cases in the last two weeks of guys who had been on that uh, high-risk close contact list that ended up developing positive tests. That doesn't mean that that's going to happen with Ben. He's been incredibly diligent about it, but it is important to minimize the spread of COVID that they do that isolation. So as long as he returns negative tests and doesn't develop any symptoms, he should come off the list on Saturday. That's kind of the timeline that the Ravens were working with off of uh, close contact, high-risk close contacts with Marlon Humphrey. So right now, Ben Roethlisberger expected to play Sunday. Steelers are optimistic that happens, but there's still some really critical, important days between now and then and important tests that he has to take and pass to make that happen. Brooke, to be honest, we all know that he's on this list because of close contact with Vance McDonald, who traveled with the team, even though we missed practice on Friday with an illness. I mean, why did he even, why'd they even take that step of allowing him to travel? Right. To me, that is the biggest question, and I still don't feel like we really have clarity on that at this point. Um, I've been told from, from our Jeremy Fowler who talked with league sources that said, you know, he came in to the team facility on Saturday prior to departure and said he felt good. They consulted um, with the, the infectious disease person with the Steelers that every team has this season. And they determined that it was okay for him to travel. Uh, and when we talked to Dr. Sells, he said, you know, this is one of the tricky things about this virus is that the symptoms can present in so many different ways. But team doctors are supposed to assume that it's COVID unless yeah. otherwise proven. And I think that if you're assuming that, then you shouldn't let anyone who has any kind of illness play. I mean, we saw the Broncos earlier this year not let Melvin Gordon play because he had strep throat. You know, that's the kind of diligence I think that you need to see with NFL teams to prevent this from happening, even if it means you end up not having a player who maybe never has COVID. I think that you just cannot be too careful because this is a worst-case scenario. We're talking to Brooke Pryor. She covers the Steelers for ESPN NFL Nation here on Spain and Fitz. I also saw that the um, Steelers and Tomlin had been fined $350,000 for violating face-covering protocols in their game against the Ravens. And, of course, last week, Ravens DB uh, Marlon Humphrey tested positive after that game. Um, is there any part of that that's also potentially you know, involved in this? Are there concerns that maybe this started with that game? I don't think so. When we talked to Dr. Sills today, he said there's still no evidence of on-field transmission, and I don't think that any of the Steelers would have gotten close enough to Humphrey. I mean, we looked at the next-gen stats, and Humphrey never lined up across from 
Vance McDonald uh, pre-snap at any point. He didn't have any receptions at that game, so it's impossible to tell without going through all the film to see whether or not Humphrey ended up guarding him on any of those routes. But if you know, I, I don't think that McDonald would have gotten it from Humphrey. The mask wearing, though, on the sideline is a problem. It likely didn't contribute to the the Steelers getting COVID. They had a staff member test positive over the weekend, um, and we don't know how that contributed to McDonald's positive test. But in talking with the NFL today, they said, you know, their their goal isn't to fine organizations for not complying. The first thing they do is issue a warning and say, hey, here's what you're doing wrong. You need to correct it. And if a team doesn't correct its behavior, then it gets fined. So the fact that the Steelers were fined tells you that this has been an ongoing problem. And then when I asked Coach Tomlin today and said, did you talk to the league about the fine? Did you find out what you were doing wrong so that you can correct it? He said, to be honest with you, I didn't even ask. We're just trying to be diligent about adhering to the protocols. I don't know how you can be diligent about adhering if you're not asking exactly what you're doing wrong, unless you already know what you're doing wrong and you're ignoring it. So I think that this may be a wake-up call for the Steelers that they have to be more careful about about their face coverings, about following all of these protocols. We're talking to Brooke Pryor, ESPN NFL Nation reporter that covers the Steelers. So, Brooke, you mentioned earlier that there's a chance he can play in this game, obviously, meaning Big Ben. Uh, if he doesn't practice at all, uh, do you have an indication of if the team's still comfortable putting him out there? I think so. I mean, he's he's been doing this for 17 years, and Mike Tomlin said as much today. This is a guy whose preparation during the week, as he played, is mostly from the neck up, as in learning the game plan, learning the install. And he's still participating in all of the virtual team meetings. All team meetings this week are virtual. And if he comes on off the list on Saturday, he can participate in that walkthrough. So I expect that the team has no hesitation about playing him, especially when your second and third options are Mason Rudolph and Josh Dobbs. It's not like you have a veteran quarterback back there that you feel comfortable in trusting your undefeated season to. Um, I, I think that this team wouldn't hesitate at all to put him out there, even if he doesn't practice at all this week. Speaking of that undefeated season, Brooke, you're watching this team more carefully than anybody. What are their weaknesses? What is the thing that could possibly get them that first L? Man, you know, there for a team that's eight, no, there are so many things that could get them <laughs> that first loss. I mean, any of the final plays in the last three games go the other way, and that's that's a loss. You know, the the field goal doesn't go wide. The Minka Fitzpatrick doesn't make the, the hits away in the in the end zone the last two weeks, and this team has a loss. I just think that, that they really need to work on consistency uh, because they have not played a complete four-quarter game of football at any point this season. Uh, anytime you think that maybe we're going to get four quarters, they seem to fall apart or have to hang on right until the end. Um, but I think that their run defense has got to get better. And that should improve this week if they do get Mike Hilton and Tyson Alulu back in practice. And then I think they've got to figure out what they're doing with James Conner in the run game on the other side of the ball because they've been moving to more empty sets, especially in the second half, and letting uh, Ben Roethlisberger you know, draw up the proverbial plays in the dirt. Um, and that's working, going that up-tempo, no-huddle offense. But I think that defenses are going to start to figure that out a little bit more, even if he is audibling at the line there and changing things. I just think that you've got to get back to having that balanced offense and getting James Conner involved more. And that's the thing that's going to have to work on this week. Even if Roethlisberger isn't there, they've got to figure something out to to get that balance that they had in the first couple games this season. 
Brooke, I love that uh, this is an undefeated team and you just laid out all those things. Imagine if I asked you what was wrong with the Chicago Bears. We'd be here for days. Uh, Brooke, thanks so much for the insight. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We almost forget that college basketball is about to get rolling, and mm-hmm. it's been a long time. I mean, it, it feels like the cancellation of the NCAA tournament was a lifetime ago, and it was still this calendar year. So let's uh, head to the Shell Penzo performance line and get a little insight into what to look for with our buddy Jay Billis joining us there. Jay, thanks so much for the time, man. I hope you and yours are safe first and foremost. So let's get into this season. I mean, we don't have the the sort of the lasting memory of March Madness. So when you go into this season, what's the storyline that you're really excited about? Well, first of all, this is quite a sacrifice for me, considering the Bachelorette is starting in about 30 minutes. I know, minutes. I know. Uh, Listen, man, what do you think? I have to wait till oh. the end of the show every Tuesday. Yeah, what do you do? DVR it and then go I back DVR, and watch it? I DVR it, but then I don't finish. get to make snide remarks during the show on social media. Yeah, that's what, that's a huge, sacrifice. that's more of a sacrifice than it I'm is. making right now. It, it really is. build up when <laughs> I could be in a chat room really discussing my feelings about Claire I mean, being it's gone. It's Tasha's first night. <laughs> I know. How are they going to react? Were they there for Claire or are they open to Tasha? Yeah, it, it's amazing how these guys can pivot and move on right away. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's just the fact that maybe they're in they're a bubble. Maybe they're for love. You know, maybe that's, maybe, I know, I know no one's ever brought that up before on the show, but maybe they're there to be influencers. And I know, I know I'm, I'm straying way off topic, but the, the thing in either The Bachelor or The Bachelorette that really bothers me the most is after the, uh, uh, someone doesn't get a rose and they're offered, you know, can I walk you out? And they want to hear all the reasons why they, they didn't make it, like why yeah. they didn't get the rose. That's not your and style. You're like, dude, you just, you just get out. in the car. Yeah, get in the car. <laughs> like your dignity is in the car. Not that you haven't squandered it already just by being on the show, but your dignity's in the car. Get in the car. You don't need an explanation. <laughs> All right, Fitz, hop back in. We know you don't watch the show. You have terrible taste in food and television. If it was so, below uh, deck, I would have been there. I'm, not, I'm out on this. All right. so, I watched below deck, too, by the way. Oh, oh see, now we got no, something going don't here. Don't do it. Don't oh, do it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll make us that talk. That a great show. Uh, I'll make us talk some college basketball. What's it? You mentioned it's not in a bubble. I'm going to use that as a segue, right? So what is the sort of concept of how we will see college basketball executed this year? You know, Jason, I don't know the answer to that. I, I mean, I don't really – usually by now, we would have a complete schedule and, and we would all know exactly where we're going to be throughout the course of the season. And none of us know right now because we don't know – that. you know, the non-conference schedule is up in the air. We uh, It's changing all the time. Everybody's scrambling around. The Maui Invitational is being played in Asheville, North Carolina. Same, same. Um, you know, yeah, it's the same. Yeah, exactly. Very, very similar. I think I think a, a Hawaiian shirt in Asheville will look fantastic <laughs> in late November. And, you know, I, I think I'm going to be starting the season essentially in a bubble up in Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun, trying to get some games in as best we can. Hmm. So uh, I think the, the, the theme of the season is going to be adaptability. You know, the, the teams that can adapt and, and stay safe and all that, we're not – you know, Duke just announced today there won't be any fans this year in Cameron Indoor Stadium. So the idea that you have, you know, Cameron crazy, you know, Cameron without the Cameron crazies is going to be kind of interesting and hard to fathom. But, but you know, look, we're all having to deal with this in one way or another. So I think one of the, the challenges is going to be, one, to get the season in and to, to adapt and to be able to move from game to game. The other thing is for the, the, the game as a whole, for the sport, is to be able to 
capture somebody's attention because, you know, we've got even more challenges this year. We've got some really good players and, and really good teams out there, whether it's Gonzaga or the Big Ten's got Iowa, Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, you know, some, some truly, you know, national championship contending teams, Baylor and Kansas out of the, the big 12 and, and Duke and Carolina are going to be great. Kentucky is going to be really good. Tennessee is going to be really good. We've got a bunch of teams that are going to be really good, but I'm not sure that after, you know, we're going to have the NBA draft next week. That's the next thing on my radar is November 18th. The NBA draft is going to go on. And then the college basketball season starts about a week after that. Uh, just sort of resetting everyone's clocks on on sports is really, I think, maybe the, the biggest challenge we have, and the the storyline going in is it's going to be a it's going to be yeah. interesting to see how people pick up on things and how quickly they do. It's been like that for months too, right? The institutional knowledge of when things start and what they're going to look like is completely gone. We all have to reset and relearn, but also remind ourselves of what is on and what's and and what's relevant, I guess. And so, for some college basketball, is it's more tournament time. But I think this year that there will be the draw of trying to see what it looks like. And also, Jay, they don't have a, you know the big rosters in other sports collegiately. I mean, we've really only seen college football, and if they have a couple players out, they can still go. How do you see that working in college basketball? Everything's inside, and there's much smaller rosters. Yeah, Sarah, that's a great point. And the thing that's really concerned me most, and and when all of this started, sort of the COVID thing started, uh, I was most concerned about basketball season because, as you guys know, it's an indoor game. There are far more games and far more travel and far more opportunities for disruption. And now that we've reached November and, and all of these, you know, positivity rates and hospitalizations and the like all over the country are, are going up at an alarming rate. And now you guys saw what happened with the uh, the Southeastern Conference in football this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does give you some pause for, for basketball, but, you know, and then Tom Izzo at, at Michigan State test positive. You got the, that kind of thing going on. Um, it, 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 it's worrisome. But at the same time, there's nothing we can do about it. You just have to keep your head down and do the best you can and, and prepare yourself. Um, but, I mean, I was talk- it was funny. I was talking to Chris Fowler the other day, and one of the things he had mentioned to me was that be prepared. He's already had a couple of games where he's been in a hotel ready to do the game the next day and got a phone call saying, hey, the game's off. Yeah. And so, you know, we're just going to have to deal with it. And it's something that our grandparents dealt with. Uh, you know, they've been, they, when they went through world wars and, uh, you know, the depression and, uh, you know, the 1918 uh, pandemic. So, you know, it's not like it's a, an issue of first impression for our society. It's just the first time we've been through it. We're talking to Jay Billis, of course. And Jay, you know, I think about the bubble in the NBA and we saw defenses struggle. I think about what we've seen in the NFL season where the lack of time to prepare seems to be part of the conversation about why defenses haven't played well. What impact to the game do you expect this strange offseason to have when we see it actually come to fruition? You know, we'll probably have, Jason, the same things we do normally, which is at the start of the year, we'll all complain about how the offenses are ahead of the defenses or, or vice versa, something like that. But I don't expect that, that basketball is going to have a, a, a big challenge that way. I mean, I think after a certain amount of time, everything normalizes and you're fine. Um, and I'm not sure that it's, it's useful to compare it to past seasons because this is just so different. 
Um, you know, look, I don't know as much, obviously as much about football, but you know, they don't have their position groups together. They're all worried about spread and all that stuff. Uh, basketball is a little bit different. So if somebody, you know, basketball teams are more together all at the same time and, you know, you have offense converting to defense and, and all that stuff. So, uh, and with, with, as Sarah mentioned, the smaller rosters, there, there's going to be some danger there, concern, but I'm not worried about the product. The product will be really good. And I'm not wor- worried, frankly, about no fans being there. I mean, it'll be different for the, the, the viewing experience. And I, I don't know how it's going to come out with regard to, you know, are they going to pump crowd noise in or all that stuff? What, 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 but when play when I go watch teams practice, they play their tails off. When I watch them go to a you know, closed scrimmage, they play their tails off. So I'm not worried about you know effort and all that stuff. It's just the atmosphere that's going to be different, and that's something that fans have to get used to. And then that's not it, it'll be like watching the Masters with no roars, and mm-hmm. and you know it, it's so weird that we're in November and we're we're talking about the Masters starting on Thursday. But but I can't. I wait mean, for we that got either. we got the draft. We got the draft at the same time, which is just absolutely wild. Um, yeah, lots to. Lots to digest, Jay, and I'm sure we'll be hitting you up again to, to kind of figure out uh, what this is going to look like as it fleshes out a little more. Appreciate the time. Get back to the Bachelorette. Uh, you know, get a, get yeah, a jump start I'm on still, me. You know, more, more than who's going to be good, whether Villanova's number one, I'm still disturbed that Claire tapped out over Dale yeah. after just a, a short yeah, it's time. it's not going to last. Yeah, she should yeah, know by you, now. You don't declare somebody number one without a full body of work. It's like the, it's like the NCAA tournament committee selecting the number one overall seed after Absolutely. after three weeks. It just doesn't you don't work get engaged. You don't get engaged to a preseason number one. You have to at least see him play. Just for wrong. Yeah. I, you know it's what? I, I don't know any of these storylines, but Jay, I can assure you, I'm texting <laughs> you on Monday during Below Deck. That's all I can say. Jay Billis, thanks for hanging out with us, my friend. We appreciate you. Thanks, guys. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Kevin Blackstone, who is uh, one of my fellow uh, panelists on Around the Horn, also writes for the Washington Post and is a professor, hence uh, Professor Blackstone, joins us now on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Uh, KB, I was intrigued yeah. by this story about Haskins because, to be honest, I kind of just stopped thinking about him when it felt like the team did. Explain to me <laughs> why he should get another shot. Well, first of all, he's the number one draft pick. Um uh, two years ago for this team, um, uh, for a team that, as you know, was rotting at the bottom of the NFL, um, that needed a quarterback, um, that needed some hope, that needed something to uh, galvanize the fans around. And, uh, and then, so they brought him in. And, you know, he played he, – he's not from here, but he transferred here from New Jersey um, while he was in high school. And uh, he was a high school star here. And then he um, was very likely going to play at the University of Maryland until there was a, uh, the coaching shakeup. And, uh, and then he wound up going to Ohio State and balled out there for, you know, basically two seasons, putting up some big numbers. And so he gets here, and you hope that they're going to develop a quarterback for the future. There's another coaching change. Um, and uh, Ron Rivera names him the starter. Uh, he plays a few games at the beginning of the year. He puts up um, over 300 yards passing, uh, runs for a score against the stingiest defense in the league in Baltimore. Um, they lose, and then uh, the rug is pulled from under him because Ron Rivera said at the time that he ran a 
a, a fourth and goal play for him in which he didn't get the ball into the end zone, and therefore he failed Ron Rivera's pop quiz during the game. And that not only, that not only pushed him down the second string, it pushed him to third string. Yeah, that was the weirdest he, part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He went all that was it. I mean, who's ever seen that before? And then, of course, the explanations started to come out. Um, uh, you know, he's not studying. He's too consumed with his, with his own stats. Um, uh, then he got, he got pinged by the team for a COVID uh, travel violation in which he made a reservation for someone in his family for a road trip. Um, not that he interacted with them or brought them inside of the team's hotel bubble or whatever that might be, but just that he did this thing and they fined him for it. Um, didn't really explain it or speak any more about it. Um, then he was, then he was away. He was sick. Um, it's just been, it's just been bizarre, but that may be bizarre to you. That's par for the course around (laughs) here. (laughs) But, but Kevin sort of walk me through this because every time somebody gets hired as a new coach for an organization, all I can imagine is the interview process. We heard Dan Snyder was why they, they picked him in the first place. Haskins was Snyder's guy. So I can't imagine Ryan Rivera came into the interview and said, yeah, I don't love the quarterback. Like how did we go from the, the spot where you're hired to develop a quarterback to now you've just buried him? Well, one of the explanations from Ron Rivera um, a few weeks ago was that they're in the hunt for the NFC East. But then again, who's not in the hunt for the <laughs> NFC East? I mean, we got high schools around here. They probably got a shot at the NFC East. Um, so that was one of his explanations. And in fact, he's, he's, he held on to that um, after the loss to the Giants, and they, they fell to two and six. Um, so that's one of the explanations. The other one is is that, and he didn't really say this, but it, it kind of played out, was that Kyle Allen was here, and of course he brought Kyle Allen north with him from uh, from the Carolinas, and uh, he's more familiar with whatever system it is Ron Rivera has, which, if you ask me, his system was Cam Newton, but that's another conversation. And right. so, uh, well, Kyle, you know, Kyle you Allen, stick- though, he's out, and, and that leaves you with, you know, remarkably, Alex Smith, who looked all right. Alex Smith. But, oh my, he did look all right. It's a good story, but... but but I guess there's all these people saying there's got to be something else. There's got to be some reason for them to just flat out give up on Haskins. Are you part of that conspiracy theory that there's something else going on we don't know about, or is it as simple as we gave him a couple games and that's it? I, I really, I, I think that's it. But 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 here's the thing that drives me crazy about it. So you've got a number one quarterback draft pick from two years ago, a guy who everybody saw play at Ohio State. Um, you know, some people loved him. Some people had some question marks about him. But now you have degraded his value if, in fact, you want to move him. Um, you know, now you're, now you can't, you, you're not going to get that value back. You, you've said that he doesn't study. Um, you, you know, you've said that he makes the wrong decisions on the on the on the field. Well, you know, those are things that maybe sometimes you keep those in the quarterback room, or if you say those to the media or you say those in the, in the public realm, you couch it in, in, in some other phrases. Um, because, because now you've, those are dings that um, you're going to have to explain if in fact you want to, if in fact you want to yeah. move them. Yeah. It's very weird. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely weird, but as I said, that's, you know, <laughs> that's 
kind of par for the course um, <laughs> around here. So yeah, so we'll we'll see. You know, now that we got the you know the the Alex Smith story. He's going to have his first start next weekend since um, since being injured. Um, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how that goes. And he did look um, pretty good, as, particularly in the second half uh, the other day, up until he coughed up uh, two horrible passes in the uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, but then again, he was playing the Giants. A lot of people are going to look good against the Giants' defense. But how much of this, Kevin, we're talking to Kevin Blackstone, uh, how much of this is ultimately lies at the, the feet of Ron Rivera? Like, this was supposed to be a very good defense and an offense that maybe could be okay. The defense has been pretty good at times, but this is an underperforming Washington football team, even for whatever expectations we had for Ron Rivera. So how much of that reflects to him? I think it's, I think it's all on him. I mean, this is a decision that, that he made. Um, you know, it was his decision to get rid of Adrian Peterson. Not that that's a big deal. Um, this kid, Antonio Gibson, has looked um, surprisingly good. Um, you've got Terry McLaurin as a, as a wideout who was already here, who has um, top-notch talent in this league. Um, they've got no tight ends. Um, uh, their their line is their their offensive line is okay sometimes, um, but they don't have that much to, to work with. So to me, um, and to a number of people watching the team, we look at you look at this and you say this is a development year. You know, I, I don't I don't care about the NFC East. You develop the talent that you have here to see what you're going to have going forward, and what more critical position to see if you have something there than your quarterback. That's that's what that's what is so um, uh, mind boggling about this whole thing. Yeah. So it's all hey- on him. KB, we got to let you go, but I want to ask you very quickly: um, Has the conversation around town been at all about some of the things that came out in the Washington Post stories? Is there any real still a talk about uh, selling the team and Snyder being someone people don't want to be in business with anymore? Or is there just too much other stuff going on in the world? No, no, no. I, you know, Snyder is not going to sell the team. I mean, this is just—it's just, it's just um, too valuable um, a property for him. Um, you know, it has become his identity. Um, so he's he's not gonna he's not gonna sell the team. Then you get that you know you get that check from the NFL's uh, uh, television contract uh, before the first game is even, right. even kicks off. So no, there hasn't been any more of that. I don't, I don't think anybody anticipates that that he would sell the team. Awesome stuff, KB. I love that the answer always ends up being well. It's just it's it's the as I call them the WTF instead of the WFT. Uh, <laughs> that's that's, right. That makes more sense to me. Uh, see you on around the horn. Thanks, bud. Peace. Take care. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I remember uh, that when the White Sox announced the hiring of Tony Larusa, I had some thoughts. Uh, a lot of people accuse me of ageism, even though my take had nothing to do with his age in particular, and more so had to do with a cultural fit with this young, exciting White Sox team. Well, another development has made me question the hire even more. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, Tony La Russa, notably and famously, had a DUI Fitz years ago, um, and it was a bad one. You know, fell asleep at the wheel um, and had to make – a public statement about how it would never happen again um, was was 
you know, a really embarrassing moment for him. And not long after that, actually, one of the pitchers for the team he was managing, the Cardinals, died uh, uh, driving drunk and crashing into a parked truck. One would imagine all of that together would make him extremely vigilant, um, would make him use Ubers and cars and cabs or maybe stop drinking so much or maybe just um, be particularly aware, even if that was, you know, a a while back. Well, uh, apparently not, because uh, one day before he was officially hired by the White Sox, it came through from the Arizona Maricopa County Justice Courts uh, that a case was filed for him driving under the influence again. Uh, This was in February, the end of February. Uh, He was standing alongside his SUV on the side of the road, having um, told the officer he hit something and had a tire blowout. There was alcohol smell in his breath. They took him back. And this story hit yesterday night. The addition today, of course, that he allegedly told the police officer that he was a world famous World Series winning baseball person. Check out my ring. I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm a legit. I'm a Hall of Famer brother. Um, you know, do not embarrass me. You're trying to embarrass me. Uh, it just adds to the whole thing, fits this whole idea of I'm immune. Do you know who I am? And uh, I, I'm not I'm not celebrating that this happened. I'm just wondering. It, I, I was already disappointed enough. I, I'm not sure what they're getting here with someone who might have an alcohol issue um, and certainly has a drunk driving issue and now adds this on top of whatever he was walking into that clubhouse presenting to the players. Well, and as I read in multiple sources today, multiple sites explain that the delay in timing is not uncommon for Maricopa County. Uh, nothing about the process was Well, and they difficult. filed it wrong first, apparently. Right. But, but for anyone that says, oh, this is just now hitting because he got the job, there's just nothing that supports that. And what this comes down to is not only did they hire him knowing, but they chose not to tell anybody. And that, to me, is one of the more surprising things. If you know you're already making a hire that's going to raise eyebrows, and you know that as a result of that, all scrutiny is going to be there, why would you not get ahead of this story? PR 101 would tell me that. And for them to know, still make the decision to hire him, even though he did this, and then turn around and not acknowledge it through any of the process just speaks to sort of the lack of understanding to the way right now media works and also a lack of sort of give a damn to what anybody thinks about it which is a little astounding to me for the organization. Yeah, I mean, the idea that this wouldn't come out is absurd, right? We knew this was going to come out. Um, There's some interesting takes on it. Buster Olney, ESPN Baseball Insider, was on KJNZ this morning and said, it's not going to affect anything. I don't think it's going to affect it at all. Uh, Just in talking with officials with other teams last night, the the least surprising thing uh, was that the White Sox immediately put out word that this will not change Tony LaRusse's status. And look, Jerry Reinsdorf is, without a doubt in my experience, at least when it comes to front office people, the most loyal owner in professional sports. It doesn't mean he's the most effective. It doesn't mean he's the best owner, but he is the most loyal, which is why he decided he was going to give Tony LaRusse this unusual opportunity nine years after Tony last managed uh, you know, at a time when Tony's 76 years old, and so it was not a shock to anybody around baseball last night that the White Sox were immediately tamping down the idea that this DUI was going to affect Tony's status. Yeah, to be honest, I would be surprised had I heard someone say that they thought he would be fired, but someone has. And Michael Wilbon, longtime Chicago guy on PTI, said uh, this should matter. Probably back out of the agreement that they have with him, Tony. I mean, being responsible and being accountable 
are seemingly, to me anyway, more necessary where we are in the culture now than ever before. And it's not enough to be accountable and responsible for a baseball game when you're explaining yourself afterward. Real life circumstances should count even more. Tony La Russa comes off as particularly stupid in this case, and he's not. We know that. But his do-you-know-who-I-am routine upon his being arrested, and he's had all these weeks, even months, to figure somebody's going to come and ask me about this, and I need to be accountable, and he's gone the other way with this insane defiance and arrogance. And no, Tony, that shouldn't be tolerated, not by the White Sox, Jerry Reinsdorf specifically, and if so, not by Major League Baseball. It's, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't think it matters. I'm saying I'm surprised that anybody else would argue that he shouldn't get the job. There's already these flags everywhere. Um, and I wouldn't imagine that the White Sox would back out, especially based on the relationship that he has, right? I know Reinsdorf would feel loyalty to him and feel like he doesn't owe him, but that he's not going to further embarrass him by, by stopping the employment. But the way they've handled all of this, including the fact that Larusa hadn't even reached out to Tim Anderson as of a couple days ago, um, to me, it just... It causes even more concern about when he when he does join that group of guys and tries to lead them that they feel like he's a guy to respect and listen to. Well, uh, and I, a I agree with everything you just said. B I think people should have at least some knowledge to uh, what most teams have in place. For anybody that doesn't know, most teams for their players and coaches have in place uh, essentially an Uber account. So you can get reimbursed for getting a free ride to anywhere. So uh, for players, and the allotment is is incredibly high, there are alternatives. In fact, most players and managers for not only Major League Baseball, but the NFL and all of them uh, have also a person that's on call 24-7 that will come pick you up. Like They put all of these things in place so that people that work for an organization don't make stupid decisions. So when you've got somebody that's working with an organization not only making a stupid decision, but then trying to defend it with they do you know who I am it shows just a level of lack of accountability and I don't understand how you can do that with somebody that's that's there to lead a franchise under the basic premise of follow the rules and pay attention to detail I mean that's exactly what La Russa doesn't do in this situation and then by not acknowledging any of it I'm not sure what accountability you can ask from your players when personally you haven't taken any accountability for yourself it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to uh, uh, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Um, yeah, there's there's all the issues that I talked about before, which is somebody who is a great baseball mind, or at least was, and whether or not he had evolved into accepting advanced analytics, something that it didn't sound like, somebody who had criticized bat flipping and celebrating, who had... Um, you know, criticized social justice initiatives and protests and Kaepernick, all sorts of things that raise some red flags about how he might get along with a very exuberant, young, Chicago-based black Latin team. And I know Jeff Passan also pointed out that um, La Russa has a history of supporting um, a, a number of things that might cause pause for people, including a bill that was originally intended to uh, allow police in Arizona to approach anyone that they wanted to and ask them if they were from this country. It was aimed and targeted at immigrants. Um, there's just an, uh, there's support for the Tea Party in the past. right? There's endless comments. The fact that he had to say, I'm not a racist at his introductory press conference. You add all these things up, Fitz, and it's just... 
What a disaster before they've even met once. And then the other part of it is, is, as Golik Jr. always said, you don't want to be something that your teammates are having to answer questions about. Like, that's uh-huh. just basic 101. Every one of these players is going to have to answer questions about Tony LaRusso when they get going. That's not what you'd ever expect from a managerial hire, especially from a team that looked like they were in a position to win right now. Yeah, it's just it's funny. I'm a Cubs fan, so everyone's going to say I'm hating because of that. I like it when the Sox are good and exciting, and I want it for that team. So this is a bummer. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Let me tell you, I'm excited for the Buccaneers for the rest of the year. If it, if every time they play poorly, it means that we're going to get some like hidden level of trash talk or call out by Bruce Arians. <laughs> like this is the best part of it. It's like the best part of getting ready for the NBA season is the drama. The best part of the Buccaneers season so far seems to be if things go off the rails, Arians is not going to mince words. And frankly. I'm all in for it as uh, Arians continues to sort of uh, let everybody know that it's not good enough and nobody's happy with it. I I think that at some point, a little bit of contention is going to be the edge that helps the Buccaneers as the season goes on. Well, there's definitely two ways of looking at it. One is that Tom Brady is the guy who responds well to criticism and responds well to death and has never in his career been someone who, you know, shied away from pressure. So he'll be fine, even if he's not used to his coach saying flat out, that was just a poor throw on one of his interceptions, right? That was just a poor throw. Um, and, uh, you know, another kind of backhanded critique of Brady when uh, talking about not getting Mike Evans involved as much as he said. said he's open a whole bunch, didn't get targeted. That was all. Mike was open, right? So there was a couple different comments, and you could say he's going to get motivated by it. Or you could wonder if there's more to this. And because of the stories we heard about the Patriots, there are always going to be those questions, Fitz, about whether or not Brady got too big for his britches as far as the coaching uh, staff was concerned, Bill Belichick, when it comes to what happened with the quarterbacks there and and Jimmy G, what happened with you know his influence on, on Kraft. Is this something where Arians needs the authority of saying, I made a statement about A.B.? And you pushed me to go out and get him. And we don't know if that's what happened, Fitz, but that's certainly a possibility, right? The guy that has him living in his house made a demand. And Arian wants to continue to remind Brady publicly and privately, I'm still in charge here. Well, also, I'll take one one extra layer to it because that makes sense. I've also heard several analysts I respect talking about how much of this offense right now looks like it's uh, Tom Brady and you know Bruce Arians is sort of running the offense the way Brady needs it. If you're going to ask somebody that is widely respected to be a brilliant offensive mind and expected to come in and have a great game plan to veer that game plan to Tom Brady and then he doesn't execute the plays that he's telling you he wants to run, I could see that getting a little saucy. I mean, there's this possibility of ego getting the way of this entire relationship and, and I'm not faulting either side for it. Both sides have the right to have a ton of ego, but if you are Bruce Arians and you are bending over backwards for Brady and you brought in his guy and then he's not playing well enough, I mean, mm-hmm. it'd be hard for me to mince my words. Dan Graziano, um, actually, I think not Dan Graziano. Uh, we, we had some sound, I think, and, and we'll see if we can pull it up from uh, from Jay Williams, who um, who really didn't like this. I think it's, uh, guys, it's 15232 if you want to grab it. Because um, I, I heard two different people. There were certain people who said this was fuel and this was, uh, you know, a positive. It's going to motivate him. And then Jay Williams said this, which is a little bit more how I see it going. I really disagree with the way Bruce Arians leads sometimes. And I think that there are certain things that you can say publicly. And I understand we live in this world where we want everybody to be real and raw. But 
If you do that, then I think you have to be ready for the consequences that that can fracture your relationship with a guy that you need to have a relationship with, especially considering his past where Bill Belichick wouldn't say anything to the media. And you felt like a lot of those conversations were held internally. I mean, yes. I, 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 I hear what he's saying there, Sarah, like you and I do this for a living. Right. And if there was a press conference after every one of our shows and one of our bosses <laughs> came out and spoke, I mean, I, I could see where depending on the personality type, that'd be really difficult. Like it, w- it would be difficult for me uh, to as much as it's very different. I understand that. But the, the concept of being so openly critiqued when you haven't been for your entire career to that level mm-hmm. has got to be a weird adjustment. Yeah, 100%. And and especially because so much is different, right? He's in a new city, new offense, new coach, new weapons. There's a lot riding on this. Whether or not you agree that Brady has anything to prove anymore, whether or not you agree that if he doesn't do well in Tampa Bay, it has any effect whatsoever on people view him as a quarterback, there's plenty of that narrative out there. There are plenty of people saying, let's decide now whether it's Tom or Bill that was the key to their success. So if he's putting a ton of weight into that, there's going to be a part of him that says, you're not making it any easier. Like, I just got here, we're learning, it's a weird offseason, etc. And you could also point out the game plan. I mean, without exception, I have seen every notable analyst say that they walked into that game against the Saints on Sunday looking like they hadn't prepared for that team at all. Like, they were trotting out the same plan they had with completely different opponents, and it it was clear to see in the way that they lost that game. And and I wonder how that happens, right? Because, again, I'll go back to the reputation around Bruce Arians. Remember, all of the faults that came from the quarterback position, particularly under Jameis Winston, have been laying, uh, laid at the feet of Jameis Winston. He turns the ball over too much. Well, at this point, when we saw this marriage come together, part of the reason everybody was excited about it, Sarah, was because it's Bruce Arians, and B.A. is the quarterback whisperer, according to everybody, mm-hmm. right? So to come out and have a very vanilla game plan or a very predictable game plan doesn't align with anything we've ever seen from Bruce Arians in the past. So why is it happening becomes the immediate follow-up question. Is it because uh, there there are some limitations? Is there because there's a lack of togetherness or, or lack of rhythm to this? Is it lack of practice? I mean, but you do have to look at it at some point and say, how is it possible when you have one of, if not the best quarterbacks of all time, and you have an incredible mastermind offensively coming together, that they could give you a predictable, boring game plan for the second consecutive week? Yeah, it is. It's surprising. And it's resulting in a ton of takes, right? And we tried to talk about this yesterday a little bit. How do we make sure we're not prisoner of the moment to how the Bucks looked in this specific game and whether that plays forward? I feel the same way about, you know, I saw Stephen A. on first take talking about how uh, Arians is starting to sound like a guy who's trying to pass the buck and, and that hasn't been his, his reputation before, but it is now. I think that would be weird, too, right, for... Tom Brady to arrive and all of a sudden for Arians to change who he is and decide. I I think he's always been plain spoken. He's always been honest. And the difference here is that we are paying more attention because of who the quarterback is and because it's Tom Brady. And that we know in the past, Tom Brady has not been a guy who always received that well, right? We, we, We will always come back to the absurdity of him being mad that he was never Patriot of the Week, right? Like, we'll always come back to that. And so uh, I think that that is going to lead people to have these kind of pretty strong takes that I don't think are right. To me, as much as I don't know if it's the right move, for success, I also wouldn't call it passing the buck for Arians. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, I want to take a look at the other side of it too, Sarah, because 
You know, you mentioned Brady and Belichick and how that's a constant conversation. To me, oh, by the way, that was some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. To me, there's a non-hot take around the Patriots that I just wonder why we're making this so complicated. Like, they needed to be tanking going into last night's games for everybody to make sense of why they're so bad. And then what they do, they fought hard for a win. I think that's a pretty good indication that this is a Patriots team that's just bad like what do we do when you're when you're the Patriots and everybody has to have some excuse for it when in fact it's like oh you know what you didn't draft well you didn't sign the right quarterback your team's not talented enough your coaches can't seem to maximize it like you're just bad and and that that doesn't lend itself to a hot take but it feels like more the space we should be in with the Patriots I completely agree I uh, I was incredulous at at Keyshawn Johnson this morning saying that the Patriots are still a playoff team and even playoff teams have a stinker every once in a while. I'm like, their whole season is a stinker, right? <laughs> I will say this much, though. The Patriots are not good, but this is not an accurate representation of who the team might be next year. And I'm not saying that as a cop-out. I'm not saying that to, to give them an out when they finally are coming down from the high of the last two decades. But all of those defensive opt-outs are huge. You remember that defense from last year. And even though it settled down a little bit in the second half of the season when they got some stiffer competition offensively, they were still a really good defense. And a lot of those guys aren't here, right? Um, Cam Newton has been up and down and effective sometimes and not as effective others. And sometimes it's been game plan and sometimes it's been, you know, a fumble or a pick or just a bad play. So I, I think you can say, yes, this team is bad. But there are a lot of factors contributing to that. So I'm not making any sweeping decisions about what it says about their coaches or even Cam Newton or what they're going to look like next year. Actually, I don't disagree with any of that. I I think the measure of Bill Belichick is not going to be in this year because he's not in charge of one year. I mean, he's in charge of a franchise for the next long term, right? The measure to me of where Belichick is is how does the team, when they come out of all of this and they have salary cap space, which they will have next year, and they're going to have draft capital, obviously, when they come out of all of this, what does the team look like next year becomes the biggest statement about Belichick. They're going to steal a bunch more players that nobody else took, and they're going to be great. Because that's what they do. We we should not let down our guard because of one bad Patriots season. That's yeah. all we'll get in trouble. No, you're right. And look, I, I will give them the benefit of the doubt for the future. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt the past. All I'm saying is today we're giving them so much benefit of the yeah, doubt in their mastermind plan. When in fact, good. they just stink. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. 